it's back. Now it's really impacting everything. Economic efficiencies, which means some more job opportunities. More stable investment has been preferred as a clause. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. The Shanghai Composite Index breaks above 5,000 to a new seven-year high. The SFC's top market enforcement official departs to head the UK's financial watchdog and Deutsche Bank chiefs Jürgen Fitchen and Anshu Jain resign early and will be replaced by former UBS CFO John Cryan. Well, Asian markets opened this morning with the latest economic data from the U.S. showing that job creation has exceeded estimates. Our international economics correspondent Barry Wood will give us his insight on the numbers. We'll also talk to the Toronto Region Board of Trade CEO Janet De Silva. That's about trade relations between Hong Kong and Canada. And our final guest, Kenrick Chung of Convoy Financial Services, will talk to us about MPFs in Hong Kong. Alex Wong of Ample Capital, our regular Monday co-host, is back with us today. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Manita. So, Alex, Mark Stewart departs the SFC for the British Financial Conduct Authority. Is this a huge loss for Hong Kong? Oh, yeah. Uh, greener gas uh, <laughs> in the UK, probably. Uh, I think uh, in the meantime, we are, we are in a in the era of change in Hong Kong because we had uh, been um, mixing up with uh, China. So uh, this is a very critical time. So this is not, uh, this is, uh, of course, uh, make, the, make this a um, ch- uh, little bit um, bigger, I think, than, than usual. Yeah, absolutely. The SFC, um, uh, you know, its head of uh, enforcement, Mark Stewart, has clocked up several high-profile victories, including the first criminal prosecution for insider trading. That I think that was in uh, 2009. And uh, the first forced liquidation of a listed company for fraud in February. And most recently, of course, the SFC has intervened to investigate the unusual movements in the share prices of uh, Hanergy Thin Film Power. So um, any ideas as to who is going to replace him or, you know, how they're going to basically tighten up the panel so that uh, they still have the ability to police the markets? No, I, I don't have inside information in the, the, the FFC, of course. Uh, but I think uh, uh, in the meantime, uh, the... The, the economy has changed in Hong Kong, so um, and and the, the 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 pace and the the magnitude of 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 the um, impact of China stocks actually is much higher. So probably we we probably need some someone with uh, China experience probably. Well, certainly closer to home, uh, the yeah. Shanghai Composite Index has broken above the five thousand point level for the first time in seven years. Alex, can you tell us why? Oh, the, it is still a momentum trade in in China. So uh, people have been quite bullish. But if you look at the uh, A50 index, actually it failed to make a new high. So basically right now the rally is uh, led by um, medium caps stocks in China. Uh, financials actually failed to, to, to bridge into new high. So uh, people are speculating on actually basically new economy stocks and mid-cap stocks in China right now. 
Well, the bullish sentiment was boosted by comments from mainland Chinese officials encouraging startups and private capital to boost financing. The Shanghai uh, Composite closed on Friday up 1.5% at 5,023. And this week, MSCI will decide whether it wants to join Vanguard in adding China A shares to its widely tracked emerging markets indices. Bloomberg's ETF analyst, Eric Balkunas, discusses the, the significance of Vanguard's move. Emerging markets had been starting to become a little more correlated with the U.S. market, but now you got A shares in there and you got small caps. It's going to have a little more correlation benefit and diversification benefit. So basically, if you're an owner of a Vanguard mm-hmm. emerging markets fund, which has $70 billion, the index fund and the ETF combined, A shares will start to trickle in probably the end of the year through the next uh, 12 months and will end up at about a 5% weighting, uh, which is equal to about $3.5 billion. Over the next several years, it should go up to 20%. That's how big the A-share market is, $4 trillion. U.S. jobs uh, creation smashes forecasts. Non-farm payrolls increased by 280,000 in May, easily beating economists' estimates and the highest in 2015. The previous two months' data was also revised upwards, so this was the best wage growth increase since August 2013. The U.S. dollar strengthened to a 13-year high against the yen at 126 to the dollar, and Treasury bond yields surged and emerging market currencies fell sharply in response to the data. Here's Mohammed El Aryan of Allianz with his take on the numbers. This report said, you know what, the economy is strengthening, we are bouncing back, and the Fed is likely to hike this year. So for that, it was a clear message, higher yields. The equity market is torn because people realize that central banks have been the market's best friend, mm-hmm. and they would like the Fed to remain ultra loose, so they worry about the hiking message in today's number, but at the same time, they look and say, you know what, we like the fact that fundamentals are getting better. So the equity market is is in this tug of war, whereas the bond market sees clearly that the two things are aligned. And here's Janus Capital's Bill Gross with his view. We've averaged over 200,000 for the last four years, and what have we gotten out of it? We've gotten uh, real GDP at 2.3%. We've gotten nominal GDP averaging 3.8%, and those are still far below targets. And so, um, you know, these job numbers, they go up, they go down. Uh, you know, the first quarter's uh, right. negative, uh, the second quarter's positive. I, I think we're in a, a structurally low uh, growth period and that the Friday job numbers are only opportunities for uh, those of us on the portfolio management side or investors otherwise to take advantage of, uh, you know, short-term volatility. U.S. markets ended with a whimper after an epic bout of volatility in the bond markets. The 10-year U.S. Treasury bond closed the week at 2.4%, its highest yield of 2015. And equity markets were down modestly over the week. The transportation sector outperformed over the week as crude oil fell. Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras has rejected the latest proposals from its creditors as absurd and unrealistic in a speech to Parliament. He called on lenders to accept an alternative proposal from Athens instead. And EU President Jean-Claude Juncker has rejected any further meetings with the Greek Prime Minister, warning that the time is running out. Without uh, additional bailout funding, Greece does not have the money to pay the 1.5 billion euros due to the IMF at the end of the month. In the meantime, deposit withdrawals from Greek banks have accelerated with 700 million euros taken out by households and businesses on Friday alone. 
Here's EU President Jean-Claude Juncker, who is becoming increasingly frustrated. I don't have a personal problem with uh, Alexis Tsipras. Why by the country? He wasn't my friend, he's my friend. But friendship, in order to maintain it, has to observe some minimal rules. All right, let's bring in our international economics correspondent, Barry Wood. Uh, Good morning, Barry. Good morning, Renita. I want to compliment you on those good sound bites. They're so, you know, incisive. They're right to the point. Well, uh, indeed, Barry, uh, you know, the jobs report uh, perhaps confirms that the first quarter weakness was temporary. But um, Bill Gross, I mean, he doesn't sound too excited. Does he? Well, he doesn't. And, of course, as Alex knows, he is a big short on the Chinese A-shares. I mean, he thinks it's, um, it's, uh, it's a real big bubble. Listening to Bill Gross and before that, Mohammed El Arian, you can only wonder what it was like for the two of them to put their heads together all those years at PIMCO and try to establish a common theme. They're both so smart, but they really have different views. I think the U.S. economy looks pretty good, Renita, and I think the stock market is off guard because they didn't expect such a good report, and it means that interest rates are going to rise later this year. Okay, so that was going to be my next question, Barry. So you think, uh, you agree with the markets then, you know, which are saying that this puts uh, interest rate hikes back on the agenda for, what, September? Yes, I think so. Not before then. And I'm not saying that they will rise, but, you know, Ms. Yellen's going to be data dependent, and so far the data are, is really quite good. And I think that the Treasury 10-year yield up at 2.34, that's a high yield, not only just for this year, but uh, that's a real recovery. So I think uh, if we get past this Greece problem, and we don't have any other sort of unforeseen events in the global economy, then I think the U.S. Fed has got to raise short-term rates. Okay, Barry, before we discuss Greece, I mean, we saw last week, you know, an extraordinary intervention by Christine Lagarde of the IMF, effectively telling the Fed not to raise interest rates this year. What do you think of the IMF's concerns, uh, you know, that have prompted uh, this uh, intervention? Well, I think it's a very interesting puzzle. Because uh, on the one hand, you could make the case that maybe that is playing into the hands of the Fed, because if you've got Christine Lagarde at the IMF saying, don't raise rates, and you go ahead and raise them later in the year, then at least uh, you know, you're not just uh, following the crowd. On the other hand, it may be, and I think this is more likely, Christine Lagarde is really worried about the global economy. I think she's worried first about Greece. I think secondly, she's worried about Ukraine and the rest of the European problem. I think she's worried about the impact of the Chinese slowdown on commodity prices, which are really hurting a lot of other developing countries. And she's very worried that if the Fed raises rates, the impact on emerging markets is going to be severe. Volatility and higher rates and weakening currencies in some of those markets like Brazil, South Africa, Russia. So clearly then, you know, the U.S. jobs report is not going to move the needle on her dial. I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, I think that Ms. Lagarde, who's, uh, you know, so respected, uh, is, first of all, having trouble because of the Greek problem and the way that she made a wrong guess on what was going to happen in the next 24 hours. And secondly, I think she really feels under pressure from her shareholders. 
we have to remember that the IMF is owned by 190 countries. And uh, it's not as if this Greek program is popular. Many countries, like Brazil, say, why are you lending so much money to Greece and ignoring the rest of the world? So Ms. Lagarde has got a very difficult task, and I think she wanted to get out front saying, look, it's still delicate. Eight years after Lehman, it's still delicate. So how do you think that Janet Yellen and the Fed feels about all of this? Well, I think the Fed is wanting to be very cautious. I think Jack Lew, the Treasury Secretary, is worried as well about the global economy. He's been very explicit about the danger of some kind of misstep, unintended misstep by the creditors or the Greeks on the, on the debt problem there. I think that uh, Lou is uh, worried about volatility in markets. Uh, I think Ms. Yellen is probably calm. <laughs> I, I think by temperament she is. I think she's got a board that is worried about the slowdown in the first quarter. I think that they're data dependent and they will just carry on. They'd like some help on the fiscal front and they're not getting it. Okay, Barry, coming to Greece, negotiations uh, between Greece and its creditors certainly seem to have broken down. Is a Grexit finally on the cards? Well, it's, it, it's, it's certainly rising to that level because uh, the past week has really been quite dramatic. You know, you had uh, Tsipras, the prime minister, meeting Juncker in Brussels. You had the major creditors meeting in Berlin two days earlier, agreeing on a package they presented. And then you had Tsipras going back to the Greek parliament and denouncing in very forthright, explicit terms this agreement that was handed to him. He had also told Juncker and Lagarde he'd have a plan within 24 hours. The plan has still not appeared. So he didn't get to wreck, if I can be unkind, the summit that Angela Merkel is hosting right now in southern Germany. But he's on his back foot. Greece has got to do something. They need to present a plan. They need to somehow get this money released, which means more austerity, so that they can pay back the IMF by the end of the month. Well, time is definitely running out. All right, Barry, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent on the phone from Washington, D.C. Let's take a quick look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is up four-tenths of a percent to 20,537, and Sol's Kospi is down 0.04 percent to 2,067. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.11 U.S. dollars. The U.S. dollar is trading at 125.59 yen and one pound sterling buys you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 83 cents. We also have a quick announcement now from the transport department, which says that lane number three and four of the Tolo Highway, Kowloon, bound near Taipo Kau, which was closed due to traffic accidents and now reopened to all traffic. The Electoral Affairs Commission is consulting the public on the provisional recommendations on the boundaries and names of geographical constituencies for the 2016 Legislative Council election. You're invited to submit your views on the proposals by June 19th or attend the public forum on June 11th. The provisional recommendations can be viewed at the Commission's website, www.eac.gov.hk, district offices, and other specified locations. For inquiries, please call 2827-1269.
The time is now 8.18 a.m. You're listening to Money for Nothing, and I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora. Well, Canada's exports to Hong Kong are up 35% in the first two months of uh, this year. The Toronto Board of Trade is launching a three-year trade accelerator program to get more Toronto area companies involved in exports. We're now joined on the phone by Toronto Region Board of Trade's CEO, Janet De Silva. Good morning, Janet. Uh, good morning, Renita. So, Janet, can you tell us how important the Hong Kong market is for Canadian exports? Hong Kong is an incredibly important market. Uh, as you indicated, uh, trade is up 35% in the first two months of 2015, and we've got the potential to do a lot more trade with Hong Kong. And let me explain. Hong Kong itself is home to uh, a lot of uh, a very large Canadian business community. In fact, we often say it's Canada's uh, largest city of non-resident Canadians. Uh, we also have a lot of Hong Kong families that have located in the greater Toronto area, and uh, Hong Kong families who are still resident in Hong Kong sending their children to universities in Hong Kong, all of that fosters a very dynamic environment for us to be doing much more in the way of trade with Hong Kong. Janet, what are the main products that uh, Canada exports to Hong Kong? Um, at the moment, based on kind of the first couple of months of this year, our top five product categories, uh, three were in the food and agribusiness side, uh, vegetables, meat, and seafood. We also uh, export to Hong Kong a lot of telecommunications equipment and also pearls and precious metals. And is it all uh, primarily export-driven or do you import as well? Oh, in fact, we import more from Hong Kong than we export. Uh, we, you know, if we look at, again, the first two months, we exported to Hong Kong 355 million U.S. dollars worth of goods, whereas our imports, Canada from Hong Kong were 427 million, so substantially higher. So can you tell us a little bit more then about the Trade Accelerator Program and what you hope to achieve through it? Absolutely. Um, one of the interesting things that's going on in North America right now, and this is still, we're still feeling the aftershock of the global financial crisis, is the consumer markets here have just not recovered at the same level. So every level of government in Canada is looking at ways of diversifying or helping the business sector diversify. And for the Board of Trade, uh, the Greater Toronto Area uh, represents, the business community represents about 20% of Canada's GDP and is home to 40% of our corporate headquarters. Also quite unique in the context of North America, we've got the second largest number of, of trade clusters, which means really competitive sectors. So the Trade Accelerator Program is all about helping businesses in the greater Toronto area focus not just on our important trading partner, which historically has been the U.S., but also tap into more fast-growth markets like Hong Kong, which offers a gateway into China. So some of our largest corporate members, large banks, uh, Google, for instance, and others, are going to be sponsoring through their clients to go through a three-year development program to try to get them to activate trade. And would you say, Janet, going forth, you know, especially as uh, other cities on the mainland uh, continue to rise, will Hong Kong continue to sort of hold sway as an important gateway to China, or do you see that being replaced by, I don't know, Shanghai, say? 
Well, you know, I just relocated back to Canada after uh, 14 and a half years living in China and Hong Kong, so I certainly appreciate the argument that there's other cities in, in the mainland that may surpass Hong Kong. I would say at this point for the Canadian businesses that we're looking at in GTA, many of them are more medium-sized enterprises, and I would say the majority of them are going to find that Hong Kong is a better access point for their first foray into Asia rather than going directly into the mainland. I say that with all kinds of caveats, but by and large, I believe Hong Kong is still incredibly relevant as a gateway. Well, Janet, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Janet De Silva. She's the CEO of the Toronto Region Board of Trade. The time is now 8.23 a.m. and data regarding the new Convoy MPF index is in. It's low, it rose slightly by 0.22% month on month to an all time high of 214.16. However, its equity index has dropped slightly by 0.1% to 229, and the bond index has also slipped by 0.67% to 153. We're now joined by Kenrick Chung, the director of MPF development at Convoy Financial Services. Good morning, Kenrick. So, Kenrick, uh, you know, the SEMP showed on June 2nd that Hong Kong's mandatory provident fund bled red ink with uh, 481 funds suffering an average loss of 0.79% and making it the worst month for the pension scheme this year. That said, your data appears to contradict this. Why is that? Uh, because the... Uh, the difference is caused by the calculation method. And what is mentioned in this SCMP is just uh, arithmetic uh, average. But ours is uh, uh, we, we, we weight the AUM of different funds and take the average. That's the, that's the cause of the, 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 the difference. Can you clarify that a little bit more for our listeners when you say you take the AUM? Can you explain that for... Okay. For example, it's mentioned before in Hong Kong and the MPF market, there are 400-something funds. In, in the market. <clears throat> and arithmetic average, it means that they add the uh, performance of these 400 funds and divide by, by the total number of funds. But for ours, we add the performance of all the funds, <clears throat> but the weighting of different funds depends on the asset under management of each fund. It's just like the Hansen index. Okay, perfect. So um, how does the overall index rise when equity <clears throat> and bond indices have fallen? Yeah, because, uh, yes, Year today, the uh, winners, same as last month, is still South Korea, China, Greater China, and, and, and Hong Kong equity. As you mentioned before, in May, the, the, our equity index just dropped lightly by 11 basis points. Therefore, for the market as a whole, uh, it still uh, has a, a slightly increase of 22 basis points. And, you know, of course, funds have been doing really well in China. So how does the equity index actually fall? <laughs> oh, this is the, the, the tricky thing of uh, MPF because of the audience. All the MPF funds theoretically will not buy the A shares. In, in China because of, of the restriction. Therefore, although you see a, a sharp increase in, in the A-share, but it doesn't uh, benefit the MPF uh, China equity fund uh, too much. Will this situation change? Uh, it depends on the MPF authority, whether they would like to change the, the rules to increase the feasibility of MPF investment. I think in long term, if it can be changed, uh, it's good for the society. So aside from Chinese equities, can you tell us about the performance of other equities in the fund? Uh, benefit to the uh, 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 QE in Japan, 
the Japan equity fund also doing very well, and also same to to Europe. However, we have to be careful that uh, in the winning part of this year, there's a, a lot of factor we have to consider. Just like last week, the data in the U.S. show that uh, there's higher chance for the Fed to increase their interest rate, and also the, the debt problem in Europe and uh, the health condition in South Korea. However, however, we still believe that if the U.S. can increase the interest rate, it proves that their economy is getting better and better. Therefore, in long term, we will advise the MPF member with higher uh, risk tolerance. Uh, they can still uh, consider to invest in the equity fund, especially by the monthly contribution in order to uh, spread the, the risk. What about risk management? For risk management, as mentioned before, we we uh, we will advise our client that uh, they 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 do a better risk management, especially geographical uh, factor. Therefore, they should consider uh, some uh, regional equity fund, not just a single country like Asian equity or, or global equity. By global equity, there's chance for them to benefit from the uh, improving economy of U.S., Europe, and maybe Japan. Alex, what do you think? Oh, actually, I put uh, all my eggs in uh, in the U.S. equities a long time ago. But I think uh, if you put uh, in global equities, that should be uh, much safer. But uh, as a whole, um, the U.S. economy probably is improving and probably we would see a depressed the bond market for some time. So I think in the meantime, probably you should focus more on the high-risk uh, equity side. All right. Kenrick, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Kenrick Chung, and he is the director of MPF Business at Convoy Financial Services. Well, Alex, uh, we've got an important decision from the MSCI this week about uh, the inclusion of A shares in its emerging markets uh, series. What are your expectations and how do you think that mainland Chinese markets will respond? Oh, I think uh, this is either a 0% or 5% uh, decision. So at a maximum, probably they would just uh, put a 5% uh, uh, mark on, on, on the weighting. But uh, the impact would not be too much because right now we are in a, um, the, the China stock market actually has a huge turnover and also a huge market cap. So, um, 5% would means, uh, very little, uh, these days already. So, um, I think uh, the impact would not be too much. That would be only, uh, the impact would on the sentiment, but not, uh, in the, in the, in the sense of, uh, uh, market moving, uh, in terms of a buying volume. Anything else we should have our eyes on? I think, uh, AH discrepancy actually had increased substantially last week. Uh, that is te- technically because of the uh, resuffering in the XA index in Hong Kong. So uh, this week, actually, Hong Kong would present a better value to to, to speculators. So probably we would see some picking up uh, in in Hong Kong. And the strong U.S. data actually should be okay, even though we are expecting an increase in, in, in rates this year. Because the U.S. market actually had been holding quite well after the data. And I think uh, people probably would still focus more on China, and, and that should be fine uh, in the meantime. All right, Alex, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's our regular Monday guest host, Alex Wong of Ample Capital. All right, let's take a quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is up 0.33% to 20,529. And Seoul's Kospi is down three-tenth of a percent to 2,060. Gold currently stands at $1,171 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $62.88. 
This is Money for Nothing, and I'm Renita Malhotra Hora, wrapping up this morning. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Today will be mainly fine and hot, apart from some isolated showers. The maximum temperature in the urban areas will be around 32 degrees and a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. Temperature right now is 29 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity is 79%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. Health officials in South Korea say another 23 cases of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, has been diagnosed in the country. A total of 87 people have now been infected with the virus. 17 of the new cases have been traced to the same Seoul hospital where the first patient, a 64-year-old businessman, was diagnosed and treated. Five people in South Korea have died of the illness. Singapore is observing a day of mourning to remember the six schoolchildren, their teacher and a guide who were killed in an earthquake on Malaysia's Mount Kinabalu. A minute's silence will be observed at the start of the day's events in the Southeast Asian Games, which are being hosted by Singapore. Flags will be flown at half-mast. The schoolchildren were on a visit to the peak on Friday when the earthquake struck. Another teacher and student are still missing. Messages of support have been left at the victim's primary school. Turkey's governing party, the AKP, has lost its parliamentary majority for the first time in 13 years. The result is being seen as a blow to President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and his plan to change the constitution to extend his powers. But with 41% of the vote, Prime Minister Ahmed Davutoglu said everyone should acknowledge the AKP won the election. The pro-Kurdish HDP won more than 